Okay. So today's message is on how David killed his lion and his bear. Oh, I'm sorry, that was already done, because they're not in the playoffs, are they? Oh, God, somebody already slayed the bear. All right. Darn. Beat me to the punch. I will say there would be one thing worse for me to wear today. All right. Let's, let's pray. Let's get into this. Jesus, thank you so much that we are not a dead, lifeless, pretentious pompous church, but we are the people of God. We have your joy in our hearts. We have love for you, love for one another, love for our world. And we pray this morning as we see you in the gospels that you would pour out your compassion in our hearts and through our lives, that we would not be selfish people, but that we'd be the people of God, willing to lay our lives down for one another and for all of those in this world who are lost and scattered and uh, hurting and in need, that we would be your hands and your feet, Lord. We are asking you to fill our hearts this morning with the compassion of God so that we can be your people when we leave this place. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. So today we are continuing a series that I felt the Lord put on my heart for the new year. Mark, well, I cracked it open the last Sunday of December because I was going to be out of the pulpit last Sunday, which is the first Sunday of the year. And we cracked open a series following Jesus into the new year. Then Mark did a brilliant message last Sunday on Jesus' definition of success, which is uh, completely different than the world's definition. And if you didn't listen to that, listen to it. Because you don't want to spend your life um, climbing up the wrong ladder and find it's leaning against the wrong wall. You want to spend your life making sure that you are successful under God's definition so that when you meet Him, He can say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. So today I want to continue this message on following Jesus into the new year. Now, you know, when we say following Jesus, that can really seem like a really a vague term. It's like, what do you mean by that? You tell us we're supposed to follow Jesus, but I can't see him. I can't feel him. I mean, I can't audibly hear him. Periodically, he speaks like that. But I mean, for the most part, how do you do that? I want to say that following Jesus is actually very simple. It's not easy, but it is really simple. It's, it's a simple concept. It's kind of like when I was at the father-daughter dance last year. And uh, I was dancing with one of, one of my daughters, and she was a little nervous, and she wasn't sure that she, wanted, she knew how to dance, and she wasn't really sure what to do. And I said, just follow me. Here, put, just put your arm here and your hand here, and we're going to do the box step, right? Do this, and you do this, and do this, and you do this. Don't, 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 don't. And that's about the time she said, Dad, stop, right? But it was very simple. She said, just follow me. Follow my steps. It was real simple. And then it was my turn. Because she jumps in the conga line. Then she said, Dad, come follow me. And so I had to grab a hold of her. And, of course, you're dancing around, you know, with all these... Little elementary school kids feeling a little silly. Following Jesus is that simple. We see his footprints, we watch his footsteps, and we follow him. And sometimes he's going to take you in the conga line and you're going to look a little silly because you're going to be out of step with the world's conga line. And you've got to decide that that's all right with me. I will be a fool for Christ. 
Because real foolishness is when it's all said and done and you are in the wrong conga line. Because you are embarrassed or afraid to be following Jesus. So I want to encourage you in this series to make a decision. I am following Jesus Christ no matter what. All I'm doing is looking for his footsteps. I'm going to stay as close behind him as I can, and I'm going to follow him wherever he leads me. It's like the Sherpas when you climb the Himalayas. Even the, even the most experienced hikers say they would never do it without a Sherpa because the Sherpas know the culture, they know the people, they know the mountain, and they tie ropes from the Sherpas to the hikers. And they make sure, especially in the blizzard, and they stay right behind the Sherpas. I'm talking about intelligent people, uh, excellent hikers. They have all the high-end gear, but they will never go without a guide who knows the mountain. Jesus knows the mountain. He knows you. He knows your life. He knows heaven and hell. He knows the earth. He knows the world system. He knows the kingdom culture that he is implementing into the earth. He knows the tricks. He knows the trades. He knows it all. So why, when we don't even know what's going to happen in our life in the next 10 minutes, why would we decide to follow ourselves or anyone else when Jesus has made himself available to us? Amen? So, how do you do this? One of the best ways to follow Jesus is by reading and rereading the Gospels. It is unbelievable blessing that we have his life recorded. I mean, the Gospels record his interactions with all sorts of people, the up and outers and the down and outers, the religious and the non-religious, the scholars and the alcoholics, the prostitutes, the businessmen. I mean, he mingled with everybody. And the Gospels have story after story after story after story of how he interacted with groups of people, with individuals, different classes of people. It's just amazing to watch him. It records his actions, his non-actions, his miracles. And here's the thing. You can't assume the way Jesus will react in any given situation. It blew blew his disciples away. The reason he reacts so differently than we think he would is because he's not us. He's God. One day it says that they came to make him king, and Jesus would not allow them to make him king because he knew what was in man. I mean, we, we, we so want the accolades of people. We want to be popular. We want to win the American Idol. You know, we want to, we want to be the one that's on top. And they came to do that to Jesus, and he said, no, I, I don't need your praise because I know what's in you. And just a few days later, they were saying, crucify him, crucify him. See, he wasn't living for the popularity of man, he was living for the popularity of God. He wanted to hear the Father say, well done. And he understands people's agendas. He understands what people need. And so his disciples had to follow very closely because he would do things they just didn't understand. The people he would hang out with, the things he would say, the religious authorities, the way he prayed. I mean, he spit in some guy's eye when he wants to heal him, putting mud in his eyes, sticking his fingers in his ears. I mean, he was just completely otherworldly. But we are supposed to be otherworldly as well. And you can't be if you're not following close enough to him. And then there are those I've heard that say they're followers of Jesus... But then they talk about the things that Jesus says that he's okay with in their life. And I think, Jesus would never say that's okay. 
That's not the Jesus. You're not talking about the same Jesus that I am. A lot of times we make Jesus out to be the guy that we want him to be so we feel more comfortable about ourselves. It'd be like somebody saying, you know, oh, I know Bella. She hates playing the keyboard. She doesn't like music at all, but she loves asparagus. And I would say, see, that's what Jesus is saying. What? What are they saying about me? You can't know Jesus unless you spend time with him in the Gospels. So over the next few weeks, I'm going to pick some of the most amazing attributes of Jesus so we can watch him so we can become like him. And I want to begin what I believe is one of his, I believe is his greatest overarching attribute that supersedes all other attributes. And it is the motivation behind everything he does. Do you have any idea what that might be? What'd you say? Compassion. That's why he sits on the front row. We give the most intelligent people in the body the front row seats in our church. Compassion. What does John 3.16 say? Can you quote John 3.16? Come on, let heaven hear the army of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son... That whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. Now stop there. Does anybody know John 3, 17? Because he wasn't done talking. We have five true disciples in the body of Christ in this church. Let's say it out loud. Look at this. For God did not send his son or his church into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. God hasn't sent his church to condemn the world either. We are to be the bridge that people walk over to meet Jesus. And there's no greater bridge than the bridge of compassion. God so loved the world. What's he mean by the world? He doesn't mean the dirt and the stars. He's going to burn that all up. We need to respect it while we're here and be good stewards of it, which we're not a good job with it. But Jesus did not come to die for the dirt or the animals or the stars. He came to die for people. God so loved the people of the world that he gave his own son for us. That whoever would believe him would not perish but have everlasting life. How does this apply to you? Well, you're a follower of Jesus and you live in the world. You're on the planet, which means you're going to bump into people everywhere you go in your own home, your family, your extended family, your employer, your employees, your co-workers, your classmates, your teammates on your sports team at the grocery store. Wherever you go on the planet, you're going to run into people. And your interaction with every individual you have is either drawing them closer to Jesus or drawing them farther away from Jesus. Every time I have an interaction with somebody, I'm always thinking, how am I representing Jesus to this person right now? That's Jesus' purpose for your life. If you wonder, God, what's your purpose for my life? I don't think he really cares whether you're a doctor or a nurse or a teacher or a custodian or a stay-at-home mom or a student or an athlete, what he cares about is how are you representing him wherever you go? That is Jesus' purpose for your life, to represent him, to represent him. 
So I think whenever I have an interaction with somebody, they're probably going to find out I'm a Christian. And then they're going to remember how I treated them. And it's either going to be a disconnect or a connection for them to Jesus Christ. I don't always do a good job just like you don't always do a good job, but that's my goal. And that ought to be your goal as well. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your whole mission in life is to represent him to the world. Jesus said that in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. So the compassion of Jesus shown through you is going to be the greatest contrast the world will ever see. Do you know that you are the only Jesus many people will ever meet until they meet him because of you? So I want to look at compassion today so that you and I can be real clear about Jesus' definition of compassion so that we can walk out of here and decide this year I'm going to dedicate my life to following Jesus and one of the main attributes I want people to know about me because I'm representing him is I am a person of compassion. The word compassion means pity. But pity is not just feeling bad, kind of like when you watch those dogs in the pound commercials, you know, that come on. And you see, that, you see how sad they make the dogs look? Look, hey, we adopted two kitty cats from the pound, so we're safe. I don't know about you, but we're safe. I can say this with integrity. So you look at those dog commercials. You're just minding your own business, watching some show, and all of a sudden, these dogs come on that look, you know, pathetic. And, and, you, and your heart goes out. But do you do anything about it? No, you don't. That's not pity. That's guilt. <laughs> That's what that is. Pity or compassion has three attributes to it. Number one, I'm going to give you the ABCs of compassion. I just came up with this this week. It's really cute, but you'll remember it. ABCs of compassion. Number one, it's active. Number two, what did I say? It is blind. And that's a big one for us. You can't just sit on the couch and feel sorry for the little puppies on TV. You have to do something about it. But it's also blind, and some of them are too. Compassion is blind. Doesn't care about race, color, nationality, legal or illegal, age, Mark would like us all to say. Whether, watch this, whether the person got themselves into the jam or not, you idiot. Compassion doesn't, doesn't analyze whether the person deserves it or not because that's not compassion. Compassion knows no boundaries or borders. With it, I will say, with it, there is accountability. Like here at the gathering place, we help people, but we also help them help themselves. Because you feed a man a fish, you feed him for a day, you teach him how to fish, you feed him for life. So we're not about just giving out handouts and then not having accountability to help them build a strong foundation uh, with Christ in their life. But compassion, mercy, I, I did a word study in the Bible once. You know, there are, there are words that run together, like faith and hope run together. Um, compassion and mercy run together. Well, so does mercy and truth. But mercy always comes first. When you see that phrase in the Bible, it always says mercy and truth. Mercy and truth. People need help with love and compassion and pity first. Then you can tell them they're an idiot with the way they got themselves into that situation, right? Mercy first, then truth. 
Compassion is active, compassion is blind, and compassion is costly. I like what uh, John and James both say. In fact, we look at this with me real quick. Uh, before we get into our, our main text, I'm going to hit a couple of things real quick. Look at what John says about those who are following Jesus. You know, John just does not pull punches. Uh, John and First uh, John chapter five. In um, wait a minute, let's do this. Let's go to First John chapter three. First John chapter three and verse sixteen. Are you with me? First John three sixteen. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. We followers of Jesus also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now hear an amen. And let's go to the book of James. James also does not pull punches. And James says in uh, James chapter 2, he says this in verse 14, James 2, 14. What does it profit, my brothers, if someone says he has faith and does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, brother. Be warmed and filled in Jesus' name, Shonda, Shonda. But you do not give him the things which he needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also your faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? Dead. Okay, so let's go to our chief text. Let's go to the book of Luke in chapter 10. And let's look at Jesus and how he feels about compassion. Luke chapter 10. Now, in this passage, you have to understand that Jesus is compassion on two legs walking around the earth. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 9 that Jesus went about all the villages and all the cities and he was teaching, preaching the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, healing everyone who was sick. And then it says, then he looked out upon the multitudes and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. It says they were harassed and scattered. That means they're like harassed by the enemy and scattered. And Jesus, he had compassion on them. And so what did he do? He turned to his disciples and said, I'm giving you the authority and the power to cast out demons, to heal the sick, go preach the good news of the kingdom. Help me. Help them. Show compassion. And then we see him uh, at another time. It's amazing. Talk about, you know, compassion being inconvenient. Jesus' cousin, John, you remember uh, James, or Jesus and John when they were, in the womb. And Elizabeth was carrying John the Baptist in her womb. The cousin of Mary, Mary the mother of Mary, carrying Jesus in her womb. Mary goes to Elizabeth's house. She walks into the house and John the Baptist, who's in the womb of Elizabeth, leaps for joy in her womb when Jesus came in. He hadn't even been born yet. But John knew the Savior of the world just walked into the room in Mary's womb. And he leaps for joy. Later on in life, Jesus and John being cousins, uh, John sees Jesus coming. And I don't know, he obviously forgot about the womb situation because I don't think he could remember that. But when he was uh, older, he sees Jesus, his cousin, coming. He said, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He knew who he was. 
So Jesus emerges on the scene, and then John the Baptist starts to decrease. He ends up being in prison for speaking the truth to the king. He gets thrown into prison, and then he gets beheaded. Jesus called John the greatest prophet that had ever been, and it was his cousin. He grew up with him, and they chopped his head off. So the disciples came, they buried John, you know, his head, his body. I'm like, what a gruesome scene. They came and told Jesus they just cut John's head off. So it says that Jesus went to a solitary place to be alone. Have you ever been like that before where something so grievous happens, something so painful? You just got to get away. You just need some alone time. So he goes to the solitary place and all the multitudes follow him. Wouldn't that irritate you? I mean, just be honest. It's irritating. When you are sapped of strength, you're depressed, you're discouraged, you just want to be left alone. And all of a sudden, your phone's blowing up and the emails are coming in and people are knocking on your door. I mean, Jesus was just overwhelmed. But they didn't care that his, son just, that his cousin just died and that he was grieving. They had needs that needed to be met right now. And you're the son of God. We need you. We need you. We need you. So they're like clamoring. And what does Jesus do? He just rebukes them. And says, get away from me. I need some alone time. (laughs) Pathetic. Is that what he said? That's what you and I say sometimes. But not Jesus. It says, he turned and had compassion on them and healed healed them all. (laughs) Our God is so good. Our God is so good. So, I said that so you know who this lawyer is dealing with. This lawyer stands up. And he wants to test Jesus to see if he's a true rabbi. And so let's read this account. It says in Luke chapter 10, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, tested him, saying, So they got the smartest guy in the room to try to trap Jesus. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now that's the big question, right? Like life after death. What happens after you die? How do I inherit eternal life? I'm giving you the biggest question a spiritual leader could ever possibly try to answer. There's no way. There's no way. I mean, this lawyer is just, I mean, I love lawyers following Jesus. We've got some of them in the house today. So I'm not dissing lawyers. This lawyer, I am. He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? I love this. He comes to trap Jesus with a question, and Jesus masterfully turns the question back on him. He says, well, you know, you're obviously the smartest guy in the room. Why don't you answer the question? What's the law say? What's the Bible say? And he's like, oh, pff, seriously? Seriously? I've been through Awanas, okay? I mean, this is easy. Really? You just want me to tell you what the greatest two commandments are? <sighs> Make sure everybody's here. Hear this. Woo! Oh, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength, and your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. I guess he was expecting Jesus to say, wow, wow, I'm going to follow you. Can I follow you? That was impressive. And Jesus said, you've answered rightly. That's right. Do this and you will live. Oh, oh, we've just taken it up a notch, haven't we? Oh, you mean, oh, quoting scripture is enough? 
Bringing my Bible to church isn't enough. Having my Bible on my bedstand is not enough. Being able to spout off Scripture. It's very dangerous to be raised in church because you get inoculated. You're kind of part of the environment, but you're not following Jesus. That's who this guy was. He probably, probably graduated at the top of the Iwanis class. And, but Jesus said, but are you doing these two commandments? But he wanted to justify himself. See, he's caught. He's caught. He's not looking good anymore. His spiritual social profile is going down fast. So he's thinking, okay, okay, I've been good to Aunt Susie. I've been good to Uncle Joe. Joe. I, I've been good to my, my mom. Yeah, I've been pretty good. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty, okay. I'm feeling pretty good. My circle, right? My Jew friends, right? My little, my little neighborhood, I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, okay. Him wanting to justify himself, thinking, okay, I'm going to be able to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get at least a B plus here. And he says, who is my neighbor? He's going to say, well, you know, so-and-so. Oh, yeah, last week I brought him cookies. Uh, so-and-so. Oh, I visited that person. Oh, yeah, and I saw him after the bat mitzvah. And, you know, and I went to his party. And I was, I, I did not. I helped, I helped him change, his, change the uh, hoof on his donkey. I mean, I was there for him. Yeah, great. <laughs> then Jesus answered and said, look, you guys grew up in, a, in, 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 the, in the farmlands. So if I didn't pronounce that right then forgive me. Can you still receive from me even though I didn't give the right time to start talking about the nipple bucket? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. Now, some believe that this was actually a true story. It was a road that was well-traveled. It'd be like one of our main roads going down the 15 or something. And and uh, some theologians believe that this is not just a parable, but that it had actually happened. But either way, it's still incredibly confrontational. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down the road. And they're thinking, yeah, well, priest's job is to represent God, show compassion. I'm sure this story's going to turn out good for us. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other. When he saw him, how many times do we see a need, but we have got some place to go? saw him and passed by on the other side. Out of sight, out of mind. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked. This, this one stopped and looked. Basically, what Jesus is saying to these religious leaders that are all in the crowd, you know the Bible, but your heart is cold as ice you got a rock in your chest you don't have the compassion of god that was his biggest angst with the leaders of his day that they were teaching and preaching but they did not have the love of god jesus says to the church in the book of revelation to the church at ephesus you guys doing all sorts of great works but you don't have love so unless you get that fixed i'm going to close the doors of your church jesus the bible says this you can give all your money to the poor You can speak in tongues. You can move mountains with your faith. You can have all knowledge. Man, you can graduate at the top of your class. The Bible says, but if you don't have love and compassion and pity in your heart, you are nothing. Woo! (laughs) That's pretty strong language, isn't it? Heaven cares about love. Jesus doesn't care about your prestige. He doesn't care about your prosperity. He doesn't care about your ethnicity. He doesn't care about your nationality. He cares about your charity. That's the heart of God. 
He says, he came and looked and passed by the other side. But a certain Samaritan, you got to understand what's going on here. Oh, the Samaritans to the Jew were polluted. They were polluted people, polluted religion, polluted race, polluted city, Samaria. To get from Jerusalem to Jericho, it is a straight line. It's not going to take you long at all. They would never do it. They would go all the way up and around and come all the way around like a half day's journey because they would never even let the soles of their feet touch the dirt of a Samaritan city. Jesus says, but then came a Samaritan. Think about the people group. Think about the person. Think about the people you despise the most. Samaritan. As he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, say it out loud. He didn't just look at him like a little puppy on TV and feel bad for a moment and then hope the show comes back on. What did he do? He went to him, bandaged his wounds. This is going to be more dog adoptions than, than has ever been after this message. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them each to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of the three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? See, he turned the, he turned the question around. The Pharisee, the religious person who has no love in their heart, that just knows scripture and go to church, said, who's my neighbor? Jesus turns the whole thing around and says, who is being the neighbor? Who's being like me? Who's representing me to the world? And the guy couldn't say the Samaritan. He couldn't get the words out of his mouth. He says, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, go and do likewise. This is not for the faint of heart. This is not for the self-centered person. This message is not for the shallow Christian. It's for the follower of Christ. Just amazing. In this message, Jesus tells the Jews who were listening to him, he told them, be like a Samaritan. We all have compassion on certain people. It's easy to have compassion on those that are closest to us that we love. Jesus has compassion on everyone. He even said this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you know, what is it if you love those who love you? What if you say hi to your friends and they say hi back? He said, anybody can do that. He said, but my father causes the rain to rise, the sun to rise and to set on the evil and the good. He causes rain to rain on the thankful and the unthankful. He said, do that and you'll be like my Father in heaven. He wants us to be lovers. He wants us to be people of compassion. No matter who it is, no matter where they are, we are to be compassionate. And it's inconvenient. This is a, a great story of my friend Evan Foote, who pastors a, a church up the street here. He said he was teaching on compassion to his congregation recently. And uh, he said, I asked the congregation, reach into your wallet and take out the amount of money that you would be willing to give to a project that really moves you. 
And he reached into his wallet, and he got out uh, $43. That's all he had in his wallet. So he said, next week, let's come back and let's all give stories. He said, there was, he said, I did not have any stories all week long. He said, I was really frustrated. I'm going to come back next Sunday, and I'm not going to have a story. So he said, at 10 o'clock at night, he's at Target here in, uh, in Poway. And he's got $43. And he says, there's hardly anybody there. He's walking all over the store looking for somebody that, that, that needs help. He doesn't know what he's going to do. He's lost. He's just trying to come up with something. And he's saying, Jesus, please help me help somebody. So I have a story for tomorrow morning. He gets in the line, and there's a lady in line. And he said, man, she had just had a pile of stuff. And, and then she has all these coupons. And, and it was like, you know, it was like $78. And then she's giving all these coupons. And he's getting really frustrated. It's 10 o'clock. He hasn't even done a sermon yet. It's Saturday night. And he's getting really irritated at this lady. And then she, after all the coupons, and it goes down to like 60-some dollars, then she gets out her phone. And, of course, she has some coupons on the phone. And so then she's doing the phone. And he's just getting so frustrated. He's looking around. He's looking at his watch. And all of a sudden he sees when it was all said and done, guess how much came up on the register? $43. And he said, stop! He did. He says, I got this. And he pulls out $43. He tells the lady his story. The lady started crying. She said, I'm about to get married. We don't have enough money. We can't pay our bills. We're trying to scrap up everything that we can to be able to, you know, and, and, and the cashier said, I've never seen anything like this before. She said, what church do you go to? And he didn't say, I'm the pastor. He said, well, I go to this church down here. Why are you doing this? Because we decided to be a compassionate people. She says, what church do you go to? I want to go to a church like that. Isn't that great? Sometimes compassion's inconvenient. That was more of a story of inconvenience. Sometimes it costs you a little more. You know, it's, it's active. It does something. It's blind. It doesn't matter who it is. If they are in need, you help them. And sometimes it's costly. So that was a little inconvenient. Most of the acts of compassion we do are just inconvenient. It takes our time. It takes some of our talents and treasures. We just have to go outside of ourselves. Sometimes it's beyond that. Like Marsha Brown, who's here today, who's been battling uh, bone cancer for many years now. Her own brother, uh, you know, bone marrow um, transfusion or stem cell. That's twice. Talk about compassion. I think about Columbine shootings. You know, the teacher that throws themselves in front of the students and takes a bullet for the students. Compassion. I think about my own wife. You know, I mean, the Bible says to care for the widows and the orphans. And that's not just a scripture to her, you know. She just had such a such compassion for this little boy and in Vietnam, who was a throwaway baby, said, we got to go get him. Said, what? we got to go get him. And there's another one. We've got to save their lives. we got to go get them. And then in her condition right now, I mean, my wife is one of my greatest heroes. You know, she's going through chemo. She's not Muslim, by the way. That's not why she's dressed like this. <laughs> Oh, 
I said to her, you got to stop wearing those surgical masks. You are so elegant. You're so beautiful. And then you put on that blue surgical mask, and it doesn't match. It doesn't work with the whole package. You're still the whole package. I said, so let's get some masks that are, you know, really nice that you can wear out in public. And so she puts on this black, you know, beanie deal and this black mask, and I said, oh, no. That one's not going to work. But look at her. She doesn't care. She, she, she likes the, her, the yeah. She, she says it's more, more of a ninja than it is. Yeah. She's ninja mama, too. You can ask the kids. You know, she's, we used to call her tiger mother. Now she's ninja mama. And so yesterday, I'm waking up Saturday morning. I'm all about myself. I get to sleep in. I need my coffee. I'm thinking, what can I do today for myself? Because, you know, I've been serving all week long, and I just want some me time. And I come shuffling out. She's already up. She's sitting there, you know, in her ninja outfit, and, and she says, you know what I would do if I won the Powerball? Almost a billion-dollar Powerball. Can you believe it? And I'm thinking, yeah. We're going to take that Italy vacation we've been wanting to take, pay the mortgage off on our house, buy a couple of really nice cars, maybe kids' educations. This is what I'm thinking in my head, right? I keep forgetting I married Mother Teresa. I thought up to this moment that I'm about to tell you about that I thought one day I might be able to catch up to her. But this is just like Star Wars, man. Light speed. When she's gone, I'm thinking, I'm just dead in the water. I'm, I'm the most selfish human being on the planet compared to her. You know what she says? First, I would tithe. I'm thinking, oh, yeah. <laughs> then she says, and then I would buy the church a building. I thought, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm thinking, this is too early. I, it's too early to be convicted. I haven't had my cup of coffee yet. Stop. For the love of God, stop. Let me have a selfish moment. I'm not even awake yet. And then she says, I'm thinking, do I come in anywhere in this scenario? And then she said, then I would call Melinda Gates, Bill Gates' wife, and I'd ask them how they set up their funds that send millions of dollars around the world for clean water and uh, you know, uh, um, preventing infectious diseases. I went... Why try? Why even try? And she's saying this to me while she is going through chemo treatment. Amazing. She's a follower of Jesus. That's what they look like. I have such tremendous respect for you. Paul said this. He wasn't afraid to say this. Follow me as I follow Christ. Do what you see me doing, and the God of peace will be with you. One of the things I love about hope and people like hope that follow Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength is they're not striving. They're not... All all of her dreams are God dreams. It's not a selfish bone in her body. And she lives with this tremendous satisfaction and fulfillment. I'm about God. I'm about Jesus. I'm about his kingdom. I'm about doing his work. This is all temporary. And what we have found 
is that seek my kingdom first and my righteousness, I'll add all this stuff to you. We have found that to be so unbelievably true. I mean, our, our sons, I don't know, how much money do you think we have spent on our boys? Hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, and not a penny has come out of our pockets. I'm telling you, I've seen the lame walk, the blind see, and the deaf hear. And I mean that literally. I've seen miracles. I've seen provision. You, so you, too, you have too. Hope and I together have seen some pretty miraculous stuff. We have never seen God respond like he did when we said we will adopt a special needs child. Crazy activity. Because we tapped into the God of compassion. I want our church to be a church of compassion. That's who Jesus is. We close your eyes this morning and I want to ask you to ask Jesus a couple things before we go today and find somebody to help in his name. The first thing I want to ask is for you to ask the Holy Spirit right now to fill your heart with the compassion of Jesus. The Bible says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Will you do that right now? Just say, Holy Spirit, I'm selfish, I'm self-centered, and really most of the things I pray about are for me. Will you turn my heart today? Will you set me free from myself and help me to be a blesser and a blessing? He'll do this if you ask him. Say, fill my heart with compassion. Fill my heart with your compassion. Now I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you someone or something that you can do this week. Just right there with your eyes closed. Ask the Holy Spirit, so will you show me someone right now in the eye of my mind that I can show compassion to this week? Maybe there's already already somebody that he has in mind and he's putting it on your mind right now. Will you just pray that prayer? And ask him this last thing. Because we do not want to be the lawyer in this story. We do not want to be the Pharisee who knows Scripture, hears sermons, and we don't do them. Jesus said you'll be blessed if you do these things. Ask him, what is one thing you can do this week that will be an opportunity to show compassion? Let it come up into your mind. It's going to cost you some time. It's going to be inconvenient. What can I do to represent you to those around me? Even to my enemies. Now ask him this. Say, Jesus, I ask you to give me opportunities this week to show compassion. Now, as your eyes are closed and you're praying that prayer and asking Jesus to give you opportunities to show you who you can have compassion on, I'm going to ask, if you're here today and you have never asked Jesus Christ into your life, I want to say to you, there's no greater act of compassion anybody will ever do for you than what Jesus has already done for you. He knows you're lost. He knows that you have sin that you need forgiven, and he's the only one that can do it. 
The Bible says that the penalty of sin is death. It's eternal separation from God. And so what did God do? He sent his own son to the earth to die for you. He showed his compassion. His active compassion for you was when he died on the cross. And that is where your sins were taken care of. But you have to receive the compassion. All you have to do is ask Jesus into your life to forgive you for your sins and to be the Savior of your life. And I want to pray that prayer right now with you if that's you. If that's you and you want to ask Jesus Christ this morning, he's been tugging on, tugging on your heart. You have felt him tugging on your heart. And you want to receive him as your Savior. Will you raise your hand right now where you are? I see your hand right here. Anybody else raise your hand? I see your hand back here with the white shirt and the, uh, the gray sweater. Anybody else raise their hand? Say, that's me. I need my sins forgiven. I'm going to make Jesus Christ the Savior of my life. Anybody else? Raise your hand. I see one, two. Okay, three. Praise God. We pray this prayer out loud with me, everybody? Say, dear Jesus, I choose to follow you this year. I will not follow myself. I will not follow anyone else. I'm going to follow you. And I want you to pray this with me for those who raise their hands. And Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. Forgive me for my sins. I make you now the Lord of my life. And from this day forward, I will serve you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Can we thank God for those three that raised their hand and gave their life to Jesus this morning? Woo! I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come down front here today. If you have sickness in your body, you need a miracle, you need prayer for in any way, shape, or form, please come down and let the prayer teams pray for you. I also want to encourage you, how many of you are not receiving my daily encouragements in your email? Will you raise your hand? Okay, one, two, three, four, five. Okay, if you're not receiving my daily encouragements, uh, I don't know why, if you're already, you know, signed up or you're a member of the church, would you please go to info at gatheringplacechurch.org. Info for information, info. And please say sign me up for 30 for 30 and you'll start getting um, my blog posts because we're in a 30 days of prayer and being in the Word of God. And every morning I send you a little encouragement in your email to help you pray and get into the Bible. Then on the last day of this, uh, the last Saturday of this month, January 30th, the last day of our 30 for 30, I'm going to do 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. fasting and prayer to call to God for revival, for God to move mightily in our lives, for answered prayer, for spiritual renewal. And I want us to do this together as we set this year, this first month, we set it in a place like a cornerstone to follow in Jesus. So you'll be getting emails about this, but set Saturday apart, Saturday, January 30th. Whether you come for an hour or two hours or six hours the whole time, we're going to have worship leaders that are rotating to make sure we have worship. We're going to intercede and seek God together. Amen. God bless you. Go be kind and compassionate to somebody.